1: Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. It's officially the Australian Grand Prix week. For the first time in three years, the Formula One field will take to Albert Park on Friday to kick off what will be the third round of the Formula One season. Albert Park will also host the third round of the supercar season with four sprint races. Shane Van Gisbergen made a remarkable debut in the Australian Rally Championship in Canberra over the weekend. He and co-driver Glenn Weston finished second outright behind runaway winner Harry Bates and took some stage wins along the way. Third-generation racer Jet Johnson will make his Bathurst Enduro debut at this month's Bathurst 6-hour. The son of Steve Johnson and grandson of Dick Johnson will share a BMW with Paul Buccini and Brock Payne. Anton Di Pasquale has landed a 6-hour drive as well in an outright contending BMW with Anthony Sewell and Adam Burgess for Holy Smoke Racing, which is a heck of a team name, I have to say. Uh, in other Bathurst Enduro news, Nick Perkett will race an Audi in the Bathurst 12-hour in May alongside car owner Mark Rossa and Joey Mawson. That car will be run by Team BRM. And Baden Barguana, son of Bathurst winner Jason, will join the 17-car S5000 field for Albert Park this weekend. Joining me to discuss all that and much more is a teammate who I'm actually going to see in person For the first time since I think it's like the Friday of the Australian Grand Prix in 2020 at some point this week. Stefan
2: Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you? If that's not a reason to be excited, Andrew, I don't know what is. I'm so excited. I can't believe it. It feels like it's going to be a bit of a uh, a healing moment in this uh, whole COVID and now living with COVID process to go back to Albert Park. It was such a strange day back in 2020 and it feels a very long time ago.
1: It is. There's just a whole lot of sort of. I don't know. Maybe it's, I'm back in Melbourne where I used to live, and like uh, I've not been here for a year. I did sneak over for Sandown Supercars last year in between border closures, but yeah, it does feel it does feel very full circle to be to be coming back to Albert Park, and yeah, I I, I remember sitting in the I was in the Erebus truck actually with with David Reynolds and Barry Ryan on the on that Friday and we're talking about how oh, we will be in a you know sheep paddock in Simmons Plains in 2 weeks and this whole thing won't be a big issue and all that sort of stuff you know we won't be catching covid sitting out there and we didn't go to Simmons Plains in 2 weeks and it's been a it's been a pretty wild ride in the uh, in the couple of years that has followed things did not pan out as any of us expected even in that moment i think
2: yeah that friday morning in the supercars paddock milling around uh, waiting and uh, seeing teams and drivers prepare for a qualifying session that was clearly not going to happen was uh was pretty unusual there, there had been a bit of a push on I think um, there'd been a bit of hope from supercars that they could run the event even without f1 at one point in yeah. that mad uh, in that mad sort of 24 48 hours but um, yeah that was obviously not to be and and even now you talk about going to Sandown last year but that's over 12 months ago that there hasn't been a supercars race in victoria at all that's that's uh, mm. amazing it is um
1: yeah, it is. It is completely amazing. I mean, I remember walking into the circuit that morning, and the TCR cars were warming up. The drivers had helmets on. Mm. You know, I think the TCR qualifying session, or no, no, I think it was their first race, was like first thing that morning, and they were like all all ready to go, and we're sort of walking in. Going, I don't think this thing's going to happen at all. It was. Uh, it's been. It's yeah. I just I don't even know how to how to describe it. Anyway, um, I think we should kick off this week by talking about. Uh, Shane Van Gisbergen in a rally car Um, that was a remarkable performance his rallying experience is limited to one rally in his dad's old Ford Escort last year that was a single day rally not that many stages he did a rally sprint in a Mitsubishi the next day which he won but you know this was a whole new challenge you know and he really just stepped up for it second on pace like actually that quick winning stages when I spoke to him in Sydney, um, he said he like knew beating the Bates crew in Canberra was going to be basically impossible because that's their home. Those roads are their test roads. They use them all the time. But,
2: I mean, what a performance. Were you surprised that he was as quick as he was? I wouldn't say surprised because he's been so good in so many different types of machinery. Yeah. They're certainly impressed. Um, co- his co-driver, Glenn Weston, um, did say after the rally that uh, he himself had a bit of trepidation about the whole thing beforehand because um, clearly with Shane's lack of experience, like he's he's very good at, at driving and, and picking the grip level and all of that sort of thing, but it was that, uh, the pace notes and driving off the notes that was always going to be the challenge. And yeah. um, he just approached it so professionally, like um, just dialed himself in, slowly built the confidence and, you know, Shane was saying that it wasn't until the... The last couple of stages where he really was going flat out and he won the last two stages so it was that sort of discipline that was probably the most impressive because it's so easy i would imagine to be caught out by just one corner one cut one rock on any of the stages and and you're done so the fact that he was able to manage his way through it and uh and build himself up was um was very very impressive
1: there's a pressure to manage as well because, like, he has a reputation. He has this immense reputation as a racing car driver and he's a supercars champion and he's a Bathurst winner and he's all these things. Um, So, I mean, there was obviously pressure on him to not look silly, so it would be so easy to overdrive exactly what you're saying. But, you know, he he didn't do that. It was... Yeah, I, I, I would say that's a that was a perfect way to describe it. You know, not surprised because you just knew he was going to do something probably pretty spectacular but still just deeply impressed that he was able to, to, to tackle it in that way. He just sort of – he has the edge on everyone in supercars at the moment, Steph, and we've seen that. And we've seen how versatile he actually is by the fact that, you know, he's won a Blancpain GT title, he's won the Bathurst 12-hour, he won the New Zealand Grand Prix even though he's – is not built to be an open wheeler driver at all. Now we see him contending, you know, for national rally wins. At what point does he like, does he need to spread his wings beyond supercars in a more permanent way at some point? Do you think, Stefan? Should he is he doing himself a disservice if he doesn't look
2: to something else at some point in his career? It's an interesting one. Like when you look at the fact he debuted in supercars at 18 years old and he's 32 now, he's already done a lot mm-hmm. of it. Um, mm-hmm. And really Scott McLaughlin has rewritten the thought process on what uh, what's possible for these guys. Like you would never have uh, seen that career path coming really. So no, you never know. But personally, I, I can't really see Shane switching to anything else full time, at least not in this prime phase of his career. He just he just seems to love supercars racing so much, like the cars themselves and the competitive nature of it. I think that as long as supercars provides the challenge for him and it is what it has been as a category, I think he'll still want to do that full time. It's it's more about adding these these cameos to his program, which he was good at doing before COVID um, sort of set that back for a couple of years. So now that we're sort of coming out of that, like we already know, he's doing Lamar Twenty Four Hour this year um, in a GT yep. car, and and with the rallying, he said he wants to do more of that. He's obviously got this deep connection to rallying through through his father, um, which is an important part of it. But uh, I don't, I certainly don't think this is a Michael Jordan goes baseball sort of moment. I reckon this is a. Uh, yeah, just a good thing to do on the side as part of his uh, part of his routine. I do – I agree
1: with you and I think that supercars suits him and I think obviously like the one thing that he doesn't love is the stuff outside of the car in terms of not uh, internally with the team, it's the external stuff. It's the media and it's all this sort of stuff that's not really his bag. So I guess he's learnt to manage it in supercars land and if he went elsewhere there's probably only going to be more of it not less of it, particularly if he did go to the States or something like that. But let's just play pretend that he did go and do something. What would suit him best? Where could he go and really shine? Like you said, the Scott McLaughlin IndyCar switch was kind of a shock because we all thought he'd go to NASCAR, but he ended up going to IndyCar and that's definitely working. Where would you see Shane be able to go and shine?
2: he's already done such a variety of things and, and done so well. Like, the one thing you would always sort of rule him out on based on his height and his size was was open wheel. But as you mentioned with TRS, yep. <laughs> like, he, uh, he <laughs> just... As long as you can squeeze him into the car somehow, he'll, he'll do the rest. So, like, yeah. I'd absolutely love to see him, see, like, Red Bull chuck him in a Super Formula car or some sort of oh, high-power open wheeler. That's a Stefan. Um, if he'd fit. But really, I mean... Yeah, anything like something like World Rallycross where you have that mix of car control and also like door-to-door racing, like that would be cool. Um, But then, you, yeah, just anything. I mean, I'd love to see him on a NASCAR road course. That would be amazing as well. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. He's just so good. And I know
1: this is like two pods in a a row where we're just talking about how good Shane Van Gisbergen is, but it really is something we just need to just enjoy watching because he is just great at driving race cars and rally cars, as it turns out. He is, a, um, he is a very special talent. Now, let's take a look ahead to the supercars action this weekend. Albert Park has traditionally suited the likes of Dick Johnson Racing and Tickford. Chaz Mostert always went pretty well there in Tickford cars. We've seen wins for WAU in the past and for Triple Eight, although it's not typically their strongest track. Uh Stefan, I guess the wild card this weekend is that we have a new track layout. Turn six is now significantly faster and leads onto this sort of big, fast, winding stretch of road along Lakeside Drive. It'll be flat in a Formula One car, it'll probably be awkwardly close to flat, but you know, maybe not quite in a supercar. Could we see the changes have an effect on the traditional Albert Park form guide, do you think?
2: Well, as you sort of allude to, it's it's hard enough to to pick the form guide regardless of, of the track change there. So feel like the only safe bet, really, assuming it's dry, will be lap records because of the way they've changed the track. Yeah. Uh, there's there's already a bit of talk about the fact that these changes have been made for F1 and to increase overtaking with those cars, which relies so much on four DRS zones that they've got in. So um, they've yeah. tried to open it up, make it faster, more DRS effects, blah, blah, blah. But for supercars, it could actually hurt the overtaking because things like that old Turn 9, um, 10 segment was sort of good for supercars, um, the slower corners. Yeah. So, yeah, whether, whether that hurts it, I'm not sure, but certainly having the requirement to use the soft and the hard tyre in each race and having two quality sessions on soft and two on hard, there should be enough in all that to keep it interesting. But as for who's going to win it, yeah, there's, there's plenty of reason for all those key players to be optimistic going there. And we're still in that part of the season where I think most people are pretty optimistic about how they're going to go. So it feels like a, a Ludo Anton style of track, but yeah, yeah. the Triple Eight guys split the pole positions there in 2020 for those races we never had, and it that didn't happen. Tickford yeah. cars are pretty fast as well, and, and we talked last week about how Walking Shores have sort of flipped their their form book, um, so they could be pretty fast at this sort of track now too. You just you just never know. So there's plenty plenty of contenders.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, if, if you can get your car to work on a fast flowing layout, then th- that's what's going to win the day. So your DJRs are going to be right there. Exactly as you said, you know, we've seen the Walkinshaw car kind of go from a stop turn shoot to something that, you know, likes a little less brake and a, a little bit more pace on turn in. So that could definitely work as well. So it'll be interesting. And, like, you know, we talk about it not being a, necessarily a super strong triple eight track, but as you point out, they split the poles there uh in 2020 so they sort of have half an idea what they're doing and you can just never write Shane Van Gisberg enough particularly when you bring a bit of that strategy into play because you know let's Sydney's not a super strong track for them and they got a lot out of that so it will be interesting well it's not just supercars that will be in action over the weekend of course we're going to see the first Australian Grand Prix since 2019 as we've touched on after the dramas in 2020 and uh, 2021 being cancelled altogether to help preview what promises uh, to be a pretty exciting weekend. I grab Richard Crayle who will call the AGP on Channel 10 alongside Mark Weber for a chat, and here it is. Well, let's start with the big headline news, Richard. You're going to be calling the Australian Grand Prix on Channel 10 alongside Mark Weber. is that right? It is, yes. Hello, Andrew. How are you? This must be – this is like dream come to, true territory, right?
3: Oh, yeah, look, it is uh – as a kid who grew up with the AGP in Adelaide in the nineties, and went there as a four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, and you know stood on the side of the fence, barely being able to see the racing cars go down Brabham Straight, but been able to hear them and take it in, and that that's where I fell in love with with Formula One, with it being part of Adelaide. And as you know, colleagues of ours in this game are exactly the same um, that that grew up in South Australia. So it's pretty special having you know the roots there to know that you're going to be you know a little part of formula one i suppose and even if it's the one grand prix i call in my life then uh it's a pretty incredible thing to know that i'll actually be able to do that and call a a formula one race It's, it's you know for a broadcaster it's like it's the pinnacle it's like a driver who aims to get to formula one that's that's what you want to do as a broadcaster as well at least me anyway
1: it's definitely not a bad thing to be checking off the old bucket list it's there. How are you reading the um, the form guide at the moment in Formula 1? It seems it's pretty close between Ferrari and, and Red Bull. Who's going to have the upper hand this weekend, do you
3: think? Yeah, it does. It's just nice to know that it's competitive and that we're not going to go into a Grand Prix, perhaps like Melbourne would have been five years ago when it was a Mercedes cake wash or whitewash. So I'm really looking forward to that. The Ferrari story is obviously great, and we all know that Ferrari have such a huge, passionate following in Melbourne and the the stories of Ligon Street on the Sunday night after a Ferrari victory are the stuff of Australian Grand Prix legend. So there's a real chance i will add to that. But the Red Bull seem to have been very, very fast out of the box. I, it was cool to see Perez get a pole position last time out after, what, 216 attempts or something like that. That was yeah. a great story. And, you know, Red Bull really need Checo to be as fast as Max if they're going to continue to battle for Constructors' Championships. And... To take the fight up to what's a, a strong two-car Ferrari outfit. Look, my if, if I had to put a wish list on an AVL, I, I would love to see Carlos Sainz get his first Grand Prix victory in Melbourne. That I would be cool. It wouldn't adjust. And you know, it's such a great story. We're all petrol heads and we all love the story of the rallying background with his dad, who's a, a legend of the sport. And I think it would be just awesome to see him chalk up his first victory with all those great motorsport links and Um, I think that would be an enormous story, but I'm just pleased it's going to be a fight and that it's a competitive Formula One field that that will hopefully greet us at this brand new Albert Park in a a week's time. It is nice to sort of not know what's going to happen. And Albert Park does have a habit of
1: sort of, uh, I don't know, it it throws up the odd kind of teammate Mm. win, like non-lead drive win. I mean, Valtteri Bottas is the reigning winner there from... 2019. So yeah. we've seen it plenty of times in the past. It did seem the Ferraris were running a bit more drag in Saudi Arabia. So I wonder if they trust themselves to trim a bit of that off on this sort of newer, faster, more flowing Albert Park. They could very much be in the game. And as you said, like short of Daniel Ricciardo winning a Ferrari win in Melbourne is about yeah. as popular as it gets. So it's that I, I could. I, I would. I can see how you think that's a that would be a pretty fun thing to yeah. call.
3: Yeah, and, and look, I would have said, Dan, but the McLarens aren't looking particularly flash at the moment, are they? Yeah, the, you mentioned the Ferraris running a bit more drag and, and being confident to do so. Ironically, it probably hurt Charles Leclerc in that battle at the end with Verstappen because the Red Bulls were geared to to go very, very quickly in a straight line, and yeah. they were four or five miles an hour quicker in a straight line than anybody there, which is a very un-Red Bull thing to have in the past. They were always the high, high downforce, high drag thing. So. That, it's a really interesting turnaround. It shows how good Red Bull is as a team, though, doesn't it? Because they've been able to completely change their platform, and you know we've we've seen them going from a high downforce, high rake configuration. They've changed the way their car works because of the new rules. They've got to run it low. The rake's gone. They're now the fastest thing in a straight line, and yet they're still very, very competitive and winning races. So. Yeah, I, I love the technical side of the sport as you do and that's that's seeing how they develop. But what about Mercedes? Like Lewis Hamilton hasn't not been on pole position in Albert Park since 2013. I think it's eight in a row or seven in a row yeah. now. So where, where do they land? Are they still in no man's land in, in fifth and sixth place with those two or do they find themselves a little bit closer with, with a week to, to have a look at where they were in Saudi? That's, that's going to be a really interesting story. It really is. I, I kind of just.
1: I, I feel like they're going to sort that car out at some point, and I don't think it's going to be this weekend. Yeah. Um. I, I just don't. I don't think that you know they're going to roll out and be bang on it this weekend. But you just know there's so many details with that car. I think once they can actually set it up the way they want to set it up, mm. it's going to get a lot of people's attention. But they're lo- You know, Lewis is losing some very very valuable. Um. You know, he, he's losing distance in the title race at the moment. It's slipping yeah. away from him. Right yeah, now, well, so not far from the
3: Grand Prix behind already.
1: Yeah, that's right, that's right. So it is. It's it's going to be a long way to come back and win titles, but I can't see them just running around in the midfield all year. I think they're going to sort something out um, at some point. I don't know if I share the same confidence about McLaren. You sort of touched on it a second ago, but I mean. Um, He's not having much fun at the moment. How do you think he's feeling heading to Albert Park?
3: Uh, You've got to be frustrated, especially after last season where there was a light at the end of the tunnel for that team. And Monza might have been a, a slightly freak result just with the way that that race played out. But, I mean, they had legitimate pace for most of the season. And, you know, they were in the fight for third in the World Championship with Ferrari the whole year. So you'd have to have left last season going, do you know what? I think I can come to Albert Park and I'll finally have a competitive car again. And at least think you're in the fight to get onto the podium, which he's not done there before. But the the first two races, obviously missing all the testing didn't help the cause with the, the COVID stuff at the start of the year. That wasn't ideal, clearly on the back foot and, and Lando has been quite a bit faster than him in the first two races so far, but I don't know, Dan's, He's used to these bumps in his road, I suppose. So it'll it'll still be the same dam we all know and love when he gets to Aber Park. But surely there's some internal frustration um, percolating there that he probably won't have the kind of race car that he would like to have had. And then Christian Horner pops up in the press during the week, talking, "Oh, you know, we offered him unobtainium amounts of money to stay, but he didn't want to play second fiddle to Max," and just fueling that fire of a story. That's now what five years old. Um, yeah. Just just drags up the old wounds, but that's very uh, very Formula One and very Christian Horner to do, which we we love about it. So it's it's frustrating. I just yeah, I just hope he gets a crack at it one day, mate, to to contend for that race and try and win on home. So whether he wins a world championship or not, I don't know. But an Aussie winning the Aussie GP would be pretty bloody special.
1: Yeah, I I get the feeling he doesn't actually like this race that much at all at the best of times because of just the the enormous pressure that's on him and obviously how in demand he is and all the media he has to do and that sort of stuff. So um, I'm guessing rocking up with little chance of actually getting a result probably doesn't seem all that appealing right mm. now. Um, let's have a chat about the the changes to the circuit. What do you make of it all? Is, are we going in a positive direction in terms of improving Albert Park as a racing circuit?
3: Oh Look, I'm in favour of anything that makes a racetrack faster and more ballsy, um, yep. which by the looks of it they've done. Uh, the the it, Look, at least they're changing. They're trying. I, I think that's the main thing. Now, whether it works or not, we're not going to have any idea until – we roll up on Friday afternoon and, and even then after practice, we probably won't know. Um, it'd be good to get a supercar race underway because supercar racing has traditionally not been very good at Albert Park in terms yeah. of raceability. So if, if the supercars can put on a better show because of the changes, then that will probably bode pretty well for formula one, which has shown, I think over the two races so far this season, that the product is better and the cars can race closer and they can follow better and, we're seeing different strategies with two stops and things like that. And and the changes to pit lane will open up those strategic options as well with the, the speed limit increase and making the transit time shorter. So that's a big thing. Look, I, I like it. that The thing I'm most interested in, and, and while I'm excited to be in the combox, box, part of me would love to go and stand around the back of the lake and see these things tip into what is now, what, turn nine and ten. Yeah. the that left right chicane at the back which has always been one of the best places to watch Formula One cars work now like approach speed of over 300ks an hour it's going to be a 5g corner that's that's gonna be a spectacular place to watch racing cars um so if anything making corners faster I love hopefully the the tweaks they've made to open up some of the corners. The the big stop down the, the end towards Fitzroy Street there is going to be interesting to see if that works as an overtaking opportunity with some DRS assistance. Um, and then I, I suppose it will test the new rules as well because that DRS zone will only work if the cars can follow closely or closer through the that fast chicane before it. So it, it's going to be a big test for both the new rule set and the circuit. But I'm just glad they've tried something, mate, try and mix it up um, and, and keep it – exciting and interesting and you know after 24 years it's uh, probably time for a change so I'm, I'm not opposed to it all i hope it produces a really good car race
1: and just finally i mean ticket sales have been off the charts for this event hotel bookings are like nothing i've ever seen and i know mm. people that actually work in formula one logistics that are saying exactly the same um what are you expecting from the atmosphere i mean is this could could this could we see melbourne like embrace? having this race back in a way that and I, and I'm wary of saying this to such a proud South Aussie but could we almost <laughs> see like an Adelaide GP level of hype this year oh, it feels yeah. like something big's happening
3: yeah hope so you'd hope so look I, I think after 27 years we've we haven't quite moved on here in south australia but uh, we're, we <laughs> we're getting close to it uh, it it's been great it, it's got to be the most hyped agp since Oh, well, I mean, 96, surely. Yeah. I, I can't remember a build-up. That's build what it feels up. like. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember a build-up like this one, and, and there's so many variables, and, and you even take aside the COVID thing and the fact that we lost the race for two years and the way the 2020 race ended or event ended, which never really started, probably makes this even sweeter, Um But then new cars, new rules, the competition in the field, the names, uh, the world title fight that we're coming off. Formula One has never been talked about more in the broader media among casual fans than it ever has, I'd I'd argue. So I think that all bodes really well. It's amazing that it's sold out for two days. It'll be the biggest event since the pandemic in this part of the world and that's that's just such a huge thing and it, it's going to be spectacular there on Sunday. I, I hope the weather plays ball, AVL. I hope that it's a nice Melbourne autumn day and, um, you know, to to show off to the world an Albert Park heaving at the seams with a bit of sunshine and um, those amazing aerial shots that Formula 1 do so very well that, that are the reasons countries spend so much money on. Getting a Grand Prix, I, I just hope that Melbourne and the event organisers and Andrew Westercott and his team get the get the payoff they deserve for two years of of pain, and then for motorsport fans, it's a pretty good way to welcome it back. I'm I'm so keen to see the cars leave pit lane at the end of practice one, because after 2020, that'll be a full circle moment. I reckon for anyone that was at Albert Park that day when yeah the world for motorsport fans ended, um. I think that's going to be a really nice little full-stop moment where we uh, where we move on from the trauma of uh, Friday the 13th of March 2020 and uh, start a new chapter, which will be really, really cool. Couldn't agree more. Well, I'll see you over there, and good luck with the call next weekend. Thank you, my friend. Can't wait. It's going to be good, and hopefully we get a, a good race to talk about.
1: All right, Stefan, just quickly, uh, who's your money on to win the Australian Grand Prix this weekend?
2: Well, it's pretty hard to split Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc at the moment. Obviously, those teams have come out the gate pretty well, but, but I think probably Max based on what we've seen so far.
1: All right, let's take a look around the world. Aleix Espargaro claimed his first ever MotoGP win in Argentina. That snapped a record weight for a victory in any MotoGP class, which covered 283 races back to 2004. It was also Aprilia's first MotoGP win, and he now leads the points. Uh, Jorge Martin was second and Alex Rins third, while Jack Miller was a pretty ordinary 14th and Remy Gardner 17th. Uh, Denny Hamlin took Toyota's first NASCAR Cup win of the next-gen era with a nifty two-stop strategy in the final stage to run down William Byron. And we have a Las Vegas Grand Prix coming, Stefan. What did you make of, uh, of all that? And our 10 p.m. start time on a Saturday night, what did you make of all that?
2: Yeah, they're certainly uh, they're mining this, this U.S. money with the boom in interest in uh, F1 over in the States thanks to Drive to Survive and a few other factors, I felt like the most interesting part of this um, is unlike Austin and Miami, this one's going to be promoted by F1 itself. So it's a little yep. bit of a bolder move. They're sort of, you know, going chips in with their own money um, and, and banking on this working. But when you do look at the trajectory, F1 is on over there, and the way Austin's gone from struggling to, to um, you know, get anybody. To attend to now being sold out every year, it seems like a pretty safe bet that this is going to be a big deal, especially right in the heart of the Las Vegas Strip. There, it's not tucked away in a car park um, like it was back in the old days. So, yeah, it's it's uh, promises to be a pretty big deal, I'd reckon. There
1: was something pretty cool about having a Formula One race in a car park, though. I have to say, but yeah, it's. Well, I just find the start time a little bit odd. I guess it's. I don't. If you want to really penetrate that US market, I think you just need to focus on it and not sort of necessarily be too concerned about you know how it sort of lines up with other time zones or whatever. But yeah, look, it's obviously going to be pretty, uh, pretty spectacular, and it's just it, it. Yeah, as you said, it's just a sign of kind of this this sort of crazy ride that Formula One is on at the moment with the drive to survive thing and how well that's doing and how how big a deal Formula 1 has become, and it's a uh, it's it's a good thing and you can't blame them for trying to
2: get the most out of it. Yeah, probably probably what they need uh, next is an American driver like as part of this whole whole growth, yep. and that might be something yep. that takes a little while. I mean, there's sort of been that talk about Colton Herder or someone coming over from IndyCar, but um, you would think that with this explosion of interest and, uh, you know, even NASCAR star Kevin Harvick's talked about his his nine-year-old son, he's growing up, going to the kart track, dreaming of being Max Verstappen, not of being yeah. Jeff Gordon or any of the NASCAR blokes. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see if this continues. It, it might be a generational thing, this this American interest and involvement in F1 could really uh, really grow. Absolutely.
1: All right, let's get our hands into the Castro mailbag and see what we got this week. Uh, Brendan Vinks asks if Super 2 and Super 3 should headline some events like they did in the old days. And they did used to do that in the old days. I remember very early in my career going to cover a um, DVS round at Wakefield Park where that was the, the headline act. What do, you, what do you think about
2: that? Yeah, it's an interesting question because um, when you do look back like in those first three seasons from – 2000, they were all standalone rounds for uh, what yep. was then the Conacher Series. Um, and then it was sort of a blend for a few years, and now we haven't had a standalone since 2008. So it would be cool to see um, Super 2, you know, go back to some of those tracks, you know, your Malala or your Wakefield Park or, or even Lakeside or whatever. But I, I can't really see it happening for a few reasons. I just can't see it economically stacking up. These days, I mean, it's hard enough to get a crowd to some of these permanent circuits, um, even for a main game event for for rounds that they go yeah. to now. And they never used to have live TV in those days either for, for Super 2. So doing all that is pretty expensive. Um, from a team point of view, I, I feel like Super 2, they need that exposure that comes with being on the main game main game card and then from a supercars view again i mean with these arg categories on a separate tv network and uh, still very much separated from supercars feels like supercars needs all the all the good supports it can get like it was pretty exposed with a thin card uh last time out at simmons plains so yeah i think there's a few factors there that probably mean uh mean it's unlikely to happen
1: yeah, I uh, I do agree with all of that. I don't think we would see it, and I couldn't necessarily see the point in it. What do you think? Just while we're talking about uh, Super Two and Super Three, what's your take on the on the fact they've combined those categories? I know we've been sort of been running that for a while now, and it sort of came out of the out of the COVID era and all that sort of stuff. I guess my take on it is sort of like, okay, bigger grid is good, but there is actually a skill. winning races is something you have to learn how to do, you know, starting from pole position, no one in front of you, leading a race, managing your pace, managing your lead, hitting your marks when there's nobody to follow. My concern with the way that Super 3 is now is that you kind of don't – winning a class is very different because you're not leading the race. There are other cars in front of you still. Um, So I sort of worry that perhaps young drivers aren't getting the opportunity to learn a very valuable skill, which is how to win. What's your sort of thoughts on
2: it? I don't really see that as a problem because once you've done Super Three, the idea is then to step into Super Two. So you can you can have experience of those things. Um, but then when you get into the main game, it's most likely that you'll be running sort of midfield anyway, unless you're Brock Feeney. But um, so for a Super Three guy, if you're you know, if you're in a season where you're clearly the benchmark in Super Three, actually having that tail end of Super Two to chase and race against and beat is probably, uh, you know, the, the good of that outweighs the negative of what you were sort of talking about. So, yeah, I don't really see that as being an issue. But as you said, it, it, they were combined due to this COVID era of some struggling car counts and whatever else as a necessary sort of evil. So whether we're getting close to that stage where it could become split again is probably uh, a good question.
1: All right. Well, I think it's time for our Castro
2: Stars of the Week. Who have you got this week, Stefan? Well, you mentioned him before, but I think it's worth uh, backing over. Aleish Espagro, 32-year-old Spaniard, taking his first MotoGP win on the weekend. And I just love the fact that also it was his 200th start. It was that milestone start that he got it done on, and it was big for Aprilia. He now leads the championship after a pretty uh, up-and-down three races where there's been nine different riders on the podium, which is uh, – which is uh, makes TCR look pretty, uh, pretty tame, let's be honest. So uh, it was just another surprise result in this mixed-up season, and it's certainly strange to see MotoGP uh, sort of without a competitive Yamaha and, and Honda up the front at the moment.
1: It is. It is definitely a bit of an odd season. I'm going to go with James Courtney for my Star of the Week. He's going to rack up his 500th supercars start at Albert Park this weekend, which... You know, even in this era of more races and more this and more that is a heck of a lot of starts. So uh, good job, JC. You've been hanging around for a while now and um, still going pretty good. So uh, he's my star of the week. Uh, well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News.